Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Welcome back to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. Today, I want to introduce to you episode 21 with Tracy Peary. And Tracy comes from Austin, Texas. And the name of her practice is Hope for the Journey. And so uh, today we talk a lot about in the podcast We talk about, uh, first of all, Tracy has a nice story of how she came up with the name Hope for the Journey. Uh, Her email or her website is hopeforthejourney.org. And so you'll notice (laughs) I'm rolling with the perfectly imperfect uh, concept here. You'll notice that uh, the start of the podcast is fairly, I guess you could say, abrupt And the reason for that is for the first time out of 21 plus podcasts, uh, I had to use, uh, well, no, actually, it wasn't the first time I had to use an alternative recording device. We've had to do that in the past with other uh, audio issues or internet issues. But this time, when we use Zoom as a recording application, I forgot to click record. (laughs) So we were literally six minutes in and a lot of times it's a lot of small chat just as we're connecting. I don't know Tracy. I've uh, connected with her online through different therapist websites. But um, so when I first connect with someone to do a podcast interview, there's a lot of small talk, a lot of small talk. So you didn't miss too, too much, but, um, there's no need to, uh, redo a podcast, I believe in, in so far as, uh, you know, restarting it and having the introduction be a little bit cleaner. Uh, I thought I would just explain it in this intro that you'll notice the abruptness of the start of the podcast and somewhat mid-sentence, if not totally mid-sentence. Um, but that's what's happening is I've asked Tracy about how she came up with the name Hope for the Journey, and she explains that uh, in a really lovely way. So I still think the gist of the message is there. She talks about um, working with clients and noticing that hopefulness is something that at times it can help people going and it can help people move into the lives and the families that they want. And I really like when she says something along the lines of not losing her uh, yourself in the pain of the moment. And so that's where um, part of the name Hope for the Journey came from. Um, and you may or may not notice, I don't know if people pay too much attention to our schedule, but I am posting this one a bit late. Um, 
this this episode is actually going to be the final episode for season one. We are going to take a bit of a break, and I, I say we, I'm talking about Pat, my tech guy, and myself. Uh, there's some tweaks we need to make. There's some organizational administrative stuff that we want to do, and just bring... Um, another really great season to you all. So we're anticipating that that may be as much as eight weeks. So there'll be a big break, but by all means, go back and listen to some of the past podcasts. Sometimes you can pick up more information the second time around and um, give you some time to check out some of the resources that I've shared on the various podcasts. And also I want to encourage you to continue to leave comments and let me know your thoughts or any other topics that you wish to maybe hear me talk about uh, in maybe like a solo episode or me to find someone to do an interview about a specific topic. Uh, I feel like we've covered a really, really broad range of topics in uh, the podcast to date. We have some parenting things. We have some eating disorder specific things. I talk a little bit about trauma. I talk a little bit about, well, there's grief, self-love. Um, what else do we have here? I'm just browsing. I like the interviews that I have with the various therapists who talk about the uniqueness of their practice and how they came about doing, because I really want to bridge that gap and just really normalize that therapists are human too. And some people may hear that and go, well, what is she talking about? Of course they're human. But it's been my experience that there is a, I don't know if gap is the right word, but that there's this sense of the therapist being some kind of authority figure in your life. And I really don't like that. I think that I want to with this podcast, you know, demystify the therapy experience, but also bridge that gap so that you all realize that we really are human. We've just chosen a, a helping profession and we've got gotten the appropriate training to do that. And so I like how a lot of the guest interviewees and therapists that I've interviewed have been quite candid about their experiences, maybe why they got into the field of therapy, but also some talk about the struggles that they've had in their lives. And so I'm really appreciative of all the guests that I've had over the last several weeks and uh, really excited about that. Uh, so just getting back to, please leave some comments. You can go to iTunes at Parenting Who Podcast and leave your comments there. And uh, I think it takes quite a few comments before they actually are posted live so I'm uh, looking forward to at some point actually seeing comments on there. I welcome all comments including critiques. I'm open to that and making the podcast the best that it can be for for you guys. So uh, so getting back to Tracy, she as I said is in Austin, Texas and Tracy is a licensed clinical social worker. And you'll notice that a lot of those that I interview from the States, they do have that designation. So we don't have that in Canada. We have registered social worker. Uh, and I'm not a social worker. And maybe it would be helpful to have one on to speak to the difference between that specific licensed clinical social worker versus registered social worker. Uh, my educated guess and the difference is that uh, a registered social worker in Ontario, Canada, 
may not necessarily have the skills or the specific training geared to clinical work. And um, so that I think might be one of the, the biggest differences. And so um, let's see here. Well, actually, before I talk a little bit more about Tracy, I want to come back to the fact that this is the final podcast for our first season. Uh, this season has kind of blown my mind. I think um, when I first set out to do, I had the idea to do a podcast. I um, and I may have talked about this before in my first episode and the first episode jitters, but no, maybe I didn't. I don't know what I was in for, but I um, was writing blogs on my uh, website and about, I don't know, four or five years ago, no longer than that, maybe six or seven years ago, I was really enjoying writing blogs on my website. I was really enjoying writing and loved to be able to get the words out on paper and my thoughts out and uh, be able to share sort of the way that I thought and the knowledge that I had and the training with respect to children and youth and and then I did a master's degree <laughs> and I really am very averse to the whole writing thing and I was really noticing I was struggling with pulling articles together and felt like I was kind of spiraling and going in circles with the same topics and really just losing my sense of creativity around what I was writing about and the topics and branching out into other things. It just felt like a lot of work to me. And I, um, I've been done the master's degree now for several, several years, but I still struggle with that. And so uh, it's really interesting. It's something that I'm going to have to work through at some point. But uh, the podcast idea was something that I don't even remember how I really stumbled on podcasts. I can't even think about it. But uh, I connected with, actually, I'm going to look up his website while we're talking here. Now, for those of you who aren't therapists, this website, this podcast might not be uh, interesting to you. Um, but I stumbled upon a psychologist in Philadelphia, and his name is Melvin, I think the last name's pronounced Varikis, and he operates the Selling the Couch podcast, and so he supports uh, people in private practice, therapists, and the such on various aspects of running a private practice. And so he's got an extremely successful podcast, including a what he calls Healthcasters, um, I don't know, program, I guess you could say, that uh, helps those of us in the healthcare field to be able to um, start a, a podcast. And so I subscribed to that and he's, uh, Melvin is extremely detail oriented. And so I started to read up on the specifics the, uh, his podcast was super specific about like, you know, what technology to purchase and what to send people when asking for interviews, all that kind of thing. And, um, that really gave, and we, and I connected with an accountability buddy, which I absolutely love that concept, accountability buddy. And it just dawned on me, that would be a really good episode about getting some support for yourself and your mental health, having an accountability buddy. 
So I did that for a while and my interest in doing a podcast just grew and grew and grew. And uh, in working with Pat, who I've talked about before, my esteemed tech guy, uh, we had been looking at the various technologies and he was aware of the app that I primarily use to tape these podcasts, which is known as Anchor App. And so he suggested that we try that and see how that goes. And it was so easy. And the very first episode that I taped that is on the website, parentingwhopodcast.com, first episode jitters, it was so easy and I really enjoyed it. And even doing that first solo episode, like it just flowed for me. And I was like, oh, I love this because it wasn't me sitting down and writing something. And so I thought, okay, this is great. This is how I can get that creativity that I have and my message that I want to share to people out there and not have to feel like I'm writing an essay because <laughs> the blog felt like an essay at times. So, and then it started. And so here we are. Uh, I think with the bonus episode, 22 episodes in, um, and I have absolutely so much, I'm so grateful for everyone who's helped me with this and for all the comments and the feedback and the willingness to do interviews with me and making connections with people, mostly at this point in the States and Canada and not so much beyond those parameters, but uh, definitely looking forward to season two and uh, putting some things in place in our break time to make it an even better time. Now, um, the, the break is timely and uh, I, just to get personal for a minute, have been going through a pretty big transition in my life and I've decided that it probably would be worth a solo episode. And so I'm going to prepare something for the beginning of season two that I will talk a little bit about how, again, just as I said earlier, therapists are human too and sometimes we deal with things in, sorry, Sometimes we deal with things in our lives that are really difficult to, and sorry, <laughs> um, things are still too fresh to talk about. And so the break is really timely for me to continue to get stronger and to invoke my self-care regimen, which has been tremendous in getting me through these uh, difficult past months. And um, obviously it wasn't my intention to start crying, but um, I really just want to embrace the fact that uh, we are human too. And we have things that we go through as therapists and, um, you know, we're not better than you guys. So... Uh, listen up for that at the start of season two and um, yeah so I'll just leave it at that for now. Um, so back to Tracy I just want to do a little intro about her. Tracy as mentioned is a licensed clinical social worker located in Austin Texas. She's licensed in both Texas and North Carolina and provides in-person and distance counseling 
and she coaches people dealing with adoption in how to embrace a more open and connected adoption experience. And she talks about something she calls the adoption triad. And um, where are my notes on that? It's kind of interesting, actually, because for myself, I mean, I understand what adoption is, but she goes into it like super um, detailed. And so there are um, three parts of the adoption story. She talks about how there's the adopted parent, the adoptee, and then the birth parents. And so um, I really like that that context is being talked about and she goes into uh, great detail about that. Um, so she also, so she opened her private practice in 2006 in Raleigh, North Carolina before she moved back to Austin in 2015. And she also supervises new therapists and provides workshops and trainings locally and nationally. Tracy completed a graduate school program in 2001 from the University of North Carolina of Greensboro and North Carolina Agriculture and Technology State University. She received a joint master's in social work and was awarded membership into the Honor Society Phi Kappa Phi. Her undergraduate work was completed at Austin College in Sherman, Texas and she graduated magna cum laude in 1997 with a double major in psychology and English. Tracy's advanced training certifications and memberships include trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, that's EMDR. She's currently working towards her certification for that. She is certified in dialectical behavior therapy, she is board approved as a clinical supervisor for social workers uh, and she's an eye movement desensitization and reprocessing international association member board member at large for adoption knowledge affiliates that website is adoptionknowledge.org and certified professional life coach the life coach institute of orange county with approved training through the International Coaching Federation and 2008 Who's Who recognition. And so she also, as mentioned, does the online counseling. And just to explain a little bit, some of you might be wondering, well, what does supervising social workers means? What it means is there are younger or new social workers in the field who are required to get a minimum number of hours that are supervised or supervision. And essentially that means they can work one-on-one -on -one with clients, but they then have an arrangement with a more senior clinician to be able to go and sort of bounce ideas off that person, uh, let that, that senior clinician, that supervisor know sort of an area or direction that they're heading in with uh, their client or that they're hoping to maybe introduce, you know, information or psychoeducation on, um, maybe signs of depression because that's what they're noticing so they would go into basically a session themselves a one-on-one -on -one counseling type session and discuss the clients and it's not like they're discussing specific details names etc it's more about you know this is what i'm seeing the client presenting with and this is what i'm thinking you know do you think that this is based on what i've told you and shared with you do you think that this is um an appropriate uh, response and appropriate 
path to head down and so then they are not necessarily graded unless they're still finishing up a, a, a educational program but they're uh, just guided by these senior clinicians and then they obtain hours and then they can get their full licensure and it's the same thing here in Canada uh, we have to do that as well so that's a little bit about that anyhow I've gone on and on and on <laughs> um, really long intro today but I thought that uh, I would take a little bit of time to do that just because it is the last episode for season one of hashtag parenting who podcast and so thank you everyone especially for those of you who have maybe listened from the beginning I really appreciate your support and I look forward to a season two take care bye for now for people to, they feel like they get stuck and there's not a good map for it a lot of times. Um, sometimes you can run into some really pain, painful parts. You know, with adoption, there's a lot of grief and loss. With, um, you know, working through things from the past, there's a lot of trauma sometimes or just a learning how to, you know, view yourself in a positive way. And that can be really hard. And um, so I was looking for things that kind of bring those together. And, um, and I had had a lot of feedback from clients um, saying that, you know, one of the things that kept them going sometimes when they really felt stuck, when they really didn't think that they could make any changes, when they really felt like they were overwhelmed with their lives, um, hopefulness. And, um, and I think that is something that I bring to the table in session uh, quite a bit is just a, just a, ongoing, hopeful, nothing is going to shift and that people are going to be able to flip themselves over and, and write themselves and, and be able to move into the lives and the family stuff want. And so that's where hope for the journey came from. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it's interesting too, because I have, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but decorative type things. And they have the text hope on them. I have two of them in my room. I have forgive as another one. And sometimes I'll orient people to my space and ask them to look around. And it's probably one of the most pointed out items in the room is, is that word hope. It really has a lot of meaning behind it, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I think sometimes, you know, finding hope in whatever stage of life that you're in is, is kind of the whole thing, right? Not losing yourself in the pain of whatever the moment is and being able to hope for that next piece that's going to be, you know, changing in some way. So I, that's, it's just something that's always um, kind of a big part of my life. And it's been a big part of my journey, um, both professionally and, um, and personally. And so I just wanted to be it to be a part of my business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is a journey. Therapy is a journey. So it just goes so well. Hope for the journey. Yeah, just goes so well together. And so you work with people who have adopted or maybe who are, I'm assuming maybe uh, who are thinking about adopting. And I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit about what are some of the emotional challenges families have pre or post adoption? Sure. I, I actually work with all parts of the adoption mm -hmm. triad. So adoption triad is kind of a therapy word um, that some people are familiar with and some people aren't. But when you think of adoption, you know, a lot of people talk about and are feel comfortable talking about the adoptive parent experience. And I'm an adoptive parent myself of two, so I feel very comfortable with that. But that's only really a third of the story. The other two parts are the adoptee and, of course, the birth parent. For birth parents. Um, 
And so, so I work um, with all those parts and particularly working with people that are trying to connect with one or more of the other parts of the triad. Mm -hmm. So adoptive parents are really wanting to feel connected to the birth parent, for instance, or maybe an adoptee um, has had a closed adoption and they're looking for a reunion, um, or maybe an adopt, uh, um, excuse me, a birth parent um, is is wanting to get to know their um, their child and is reaching out or trying to build that connection at any point in that child's life, whether as as a child or as an adult. Um, and so I like to get involved. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question about um, like pre and post um, issues that tend to come up, you know, there's all kinds of different things. Adoption is um, a huge leap of faith um, for everybody. Of course, the adoptee doesn't get a choice in the matter at the beginning, um, but they still have to make their leap of faith at some point during that, uh, during their process. For adoptive parents, um, you know, they are in the pre-adoptive process, um, just going out there in, in open adoption terms, a lot of times they're putting a, a website together or a dear birth mother letter, um, something that helps them to um, attract or make that connection with a birth parent that's looking to place a child. Mm. And they have, you know, a lot of them have been through infertility problems and of them have um, suffered a lot of grief because things didn't turn out the way that they expected it to. You know, you get married, you have a kid and, and raise like a family. Business. That's kind of like what you expect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like so um, when that doesn't happen so easily, it can be really hard and there's a lot of grief there. Um, and then you put all of your trust in this other person that could change their mind. And that can be really, really scary. Um, and vice versa, that for the birth parent is putting all your trust for your child. You know that this, that the people that you're choosing are actually the people that you think they are, first of all, mm-hmm. and that they're going to do it in a way that's going to honor what you would want for your child. Mm-hmm. And that's super scary. And, and then, of course, all the grief that goes along with um, actually the um, placing of the child and the relinquishment process. So, you know, that beginning piece a lot of times is, can I trust the process? Can I trust, you know, that these other people that are going to be involved are going to be, you know, trustworthy? Mm-hmm. Can I trust myself to do a good job? And, um, and then building that piece up. And then afterwards, once the adoption is complete, it's an ongoing roller coaster, different issues, right. depending on the age of the child and, um, and their adoption and how that relationship develops. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you're going to be, um, you know, closely linked, or are there going to be times when you're not going to be um, spending a lot of time together, or you know, work that out with social media, for instance, and mm-hmm. how do you talk about it? Do you talk about it at all? Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of things that come up that change what you think about things, how you feel about yourself, and how connected you feel to, um, you know, or I guess how strongly you feel about yourself as a parent, whether you're an adoptive parent or a birth parent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you know, every person, every circumstance, every situation is so unique. There are sort of ideas and ways of going, questions to ask, you know, places to guide families. But at the end of the day, it's very unique for every family and person involved. And it sounds like you sort of 
meet them where they're at and sort of, you know, provide that sense of opportunity, options, ideas, connection, all those kinds of things. It sounds pretty complicated. It can be, but it doesn't have to be as complicated as I think people make it. Mm. Um, You know, a lot of times what gets in the way is all your fears and the assumptions that you make about adoption and what it means about you or about the other person or about the child that's growing up or whatever. And so, you know, I think sometimes if we can strip away all of those things and just let you focus on what you actually have and the strengths and the weaknesses in the actual relationship that you have among the triad, then it goes much smoother. It becomes much less complicated. And, mm. um, and there's a lot of room for growth there. Yeah, a lot of room for growth. And is it fair to say that if you thought you could walk into this process and didn't realize or were, and I'm not really sure people would necessarily go into this thinking that they wouldn't want to grow as a person, but maybe not realizing that that was a part of the process. Do you see that sometimes that there's this sort of aha moment that happens that um, I suppose at some point could even halt a process from moving forward in order to for the person to take care of themselves have you ever seen anything like that happen oh yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean i think you know there are a lot of agencies out there that do provide good education and and then there's a lot of ways to move into adoption that don't provide any support at all and um and if you're in it, you're involved in an agency that provides a lot of that support and a lot of that education, it doesn't mean that you're going to, it's actually going to sink in because particularly when you're starting the adoption process and you're in the thick of it, in the placement and the relinquishment process, you're having so many emotions that, uh, you know, some of this stuff just doesn't even sink in until you find yourself in it. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of places where, um, you have to take a step back and um, and look at where you're at with the process and how you're feeling about it because that also changes over time. And how you felt or anticipated that you were going to feel, you know, way at the beginning isn't necessarily how you're going to feel five years in or right. 20 years in. Mm-hmm. Things change. And getting some extra support around that can be can be really helpful because, you know, the other thing about adoption is that a lot of people have misconceptions and there's a lot of um, prejudice against adoption. Mm. And so people will say the darndest things and mm. they're not always very helpful <laughs> and not very supportive, even when they're trying to be supportive. Sometimes they say the just very, you know, ignorant things mm-hmm. and uh, that are really hurtful when you're actually in the process. And they're not coming, most people are not coming from a place where they're trying to be hurtful. Mm-hmm. I think that it can be really important to go find, you know, a community and find support where people are really going to get where you're coming from and mm-hmm. help you to figure out what, what your needs actually are within the adoption process and, um, and how you like to improve it, what, like what control you have over it and what you don't. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's about recognizing what you don't have control over and letting it go, mm-hmm. not trying to control it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I, I did speak with another therapist who is an infertility specialist, and uh, we definitely talked about the importance of support through that process and had a similar conversation about how, and it's like you say, it's not that people don't mean well, it's 
oftentimes they don't know what to say. And so they maybe say the first thing that comes on their mind or they have a misconception, like you said, about what adoption is and, um, or they're just really ignorant about the experience because they've not had, you know, they didn't know someone in their lives that they've had to, um, that they've experienced it with or that they've learned from. And so uh, I kind of hear you saying the same thing, like making sure that you have that support system. So an agency maybe provides it uh, another uh, place that uh, you're working with or someone, because you mentioned website, that kind of threw me off. Uh, and maybe we can go back and talk to that in a second. Because uh, I think you were saying that some people will put it out there that they're seeking to adopt and they'll create a website around that. I think I just saw something like that on the news recently, actually. Is that what you meant? Yeah, there's lots of different ways to adopt. There's, um, you know, foreign adoptions where you go through and uh, go through a foreign country and look to adopt, and an agency usually provides all the help for that. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, you can sometimes go over to, um, like, an orphanage and spend some time with the children and um, and make a choice, but for the most most oftentimes the, the foreign country will actually just place the child with you. Mm. Um, then there's, uh, you know, county adoptions or through the child protection services, mm. um, services. And, uh, and so in that situation, you go through this big screening process with the county and, um, and then typically they'll have some sort of a, a way to link you with the children that are, um, that are free for adoption that have already gone through the process and their, their, their parents' parental rights have been relinquished or usually they've been taken away. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then you go through that finding the child that way. When you do a domestic open adoption, at least in the United States, um, typically what you do is you hook up either with a, an agency or a facilitator or an, an adoption attorney. And then you do, you usually create something that that agency or the facilitator or the attorney can give to, um, you know, women that have a child that they're looking to place for adoption. Mm -hmm. And that's what the, so then those women will go through either a dear birth mother letter that has pictures and information about you, or now more and more, and, uh, and you can go, they, they can go on and find these websites where um, it just provides, again, pictures, information about you, maybe videos, things like that. And so that the, the birth mother can then um, get a sense of who she feels like would be. Mm -hmm. And sounds almost like online dating, I guess. And, okay. um, and so then she initiates that um, either through the agency or whatever that process is. And you meet up and, and it's called a match. Mm -hmm. um, she chooses you and you have to choose her back. And now we've got a match going forward um, until the actual relinquishment process. Yeah. So again, like with you working with all parts of the adoption triad, that emotional st support is going, obviously it's going to be different for all of the, you know, whether the, you're the adopted parent, the adoptee, the birth parents, uh, but it's definitely a really big part of the, of the process. Right. There's there's definitely differences between the needs of each part of the triad, and then there's also some pretty striking similarities. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, most most people, their biggest fear is that they're not good enough. So they, um, whether they're the adoptive parent, feeling like, oh, are they going to get chosen as the other person? Are they going to do enough job? Are they going to 
you know, is the, uh, is the birth mother going to change your mind? And then on the flip side of that, the birth parents um, feeling, you know, am I judged for pregnancy? Am I, um, you know, do I need to get out of the way? Am I going to be in some way hurting the child if I stay involved? And, you know, all of those good enoughs and, and can I do this kind of questions mm-hmm. come up. Yeah. And the sort of foundation of my podcast is that inner child piece. And so recognizing and realizing that as parents or caregivers, there's a little inner child within us. And like you said, you know, we sort of imagine that we're going to become an adult and have a partner and then procreate and have children and sort of live the quote unquote best life happily ever after. And uh, not realizing maybe, like you said, going through infertility for years and years and not realizing that adoption is sort of the world in which you're going to acquire your child rather than it by natural means. And so what sort of support are you providing as a therapist for those who might, like we were sort of introducing and talking about the, the stuff that comes up for individuals around I mean obviously sometimes people may realize this isn't the best option for them in one one of the triads or or any or all of them but uh, what sorts of things are you helping people with around their emotional wellness I guess sure yeah so I do both um, coaching and therapy so coaching I can do that people um, from all over the United States Canada where you're at um, and can work with just kind of um, like, for instance, it might be making that decision. Do I want to adopt? Do I want to place a child for adoption? Am I ready for that? Do I know what to expect? Or it might be working through decision-making process about, you know, do I open this, this adoption back up and, and reach out or how do I do that in the best way? Or, you know, how to, how to work on, um, some best practices for parenting, for instance, um, because adoptees have uh, pretty specific emotional needs that um, are slightly different than the average population. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I work with people in all kinds of ways with that. If we're talking about therapy uh, in the United States, we have to be licensed in the state that the, the, um, client is at. And so I'm licensed in both North Carolina and Texas. I do do distance counseling as well. Um, and so I, I'll work with families at any point in that process, whether it's before the, before the, uh, the adoption takes place or after the relinquishment has taken place. Um, I work with a lot of adoptees when they are um, either working through the grief adoption story and forward um, or when they are um, maybe starting to think about a reunion Um, and I'll work with all parts of the triad together um, when we're doing that reunion process so and reunion that that term is often used for adoptees in a closed adoption and Mm -hmm. so they're reaching out to their birth parent or vice versa the birth parent is reaching out to them and they've not known anything about them or very very limited information Mm -hmm. and so they're reaching out and starting that process of seeing what kind of relationship could they develop Mm -hmm. but it also might be um in an open adoption it's very common to go in and out of closeness and sometimes you know as you talked about sometimes it gets too much and one part withdraw Mm -hmm. and um 
and they'll kind of close things down a little bit um, and or maybe a lot and maybe there's no cons even and so at some point it's not uncommon for them one part or another of the triad to want to get back together and 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 just at least fill out if the other parts are open to that and uh, and that's another time when I come into play quite often with people is working through the feelings of grief piece that comes up with that um, and or uh, helping to coach people through that process so that you can do it in a way that's respectful mm-hmm. to everybody to yourself and to the other parts of the triad mm-hmm. and and in a way that um, you know, gains the most, uh, the, the best outcome that you guys can have, which is going to look different from one family to another. In my own personal um, adoption, we have a very, very open adoption. We spend mm-hmm. a lot of time and uh, it's another part of our family. and We spend mm-hmm. holidays together and all of that. Mm-hmm. But other uh, open adoptions might look very different. It might just be, um, you know, very uh, you know, infrequent visits, or it might only be digital, or it might only be, um, you know, I don't know, one meeting every few years. And that doesn't mean that that's a, uh, not as good of an outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a fantastically rewarding and uh, wonderful relationship. So there's, it looks different mm-hmm. for every family, and it looks different throughout different times in the family's lives mm-hmm. for how much contact works for them and, and what and what, what feels best in terms of um, how close you are. Yeah. And it's uh, really, for me, it's interesting because obviously I'm a mental health professional. So I, you know, I advocate for that. And just as I'm hearing you speak, I have worked with some children who have been adopted, uh, not obviously to the extent that you have. And so it's good to know that you do the coaching and that you're available to people all over the world, you know, to be able to help them with those questions like, do I want to adopt? Do I know what to expect? Those kinds of things. I think it's a really great resource and rich in your ability to provide them with some sense of grounding through this process. And it just has me sort of wondering what do families do that don't have someone like you in their lives and how, and I don't know if you can speak to the maybe negative effects of not having someone to help support what communication is going to look like or how to proceed with reaching out and starting a reunion process. Uh, And I don't know if there's specific agencies that will that are available to everyone to help guide that or people left out on their own to find this stuff and maybe not even access it. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are left to their own devices Mm -hmm. and don't get uh, any support around this. And because particularly open adoption is a fairly new thing, um, there's not a lot of resources out there in the way books and, mm-hmm. you know, websites and, and even, I don't know anyone, to be honest with you, that does exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's, that's needed, and I'm so glad that's out there. I had no idea that that was mm-hmm. um, even available. I wish more people did it. And, um, you know, so I think that the deaf people not having the support that they need a lot of times ends up in a lot of misconceptions mm-hmm. and misunderstandings and a lot more pain 
mm-hmm. than there needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the biggest thing that, that comes up is, you know, you talked about that inner child coming out mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm sure you've talked before and worked with your clients on how it, particularly during like developmental shifts mm-hmm. and during times that inner child might act out, mm-hmm. um, in ways that we don't particularly <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. This happens all the time with adoption mm-hmm. and, um, and so being able to have the support to take a step back from what's actually going on and being able to understand that probably that person is a place of pain and, mm-hmm. and being able to then love them without necessarily, you can still put up boundaries and, and protect, you know, protections and things like that as, if that's needed, right. Mm-hmm. for things like substance abuse and, mm-hmm. and abusive behaviors and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, but knowing that that's coming from a place of pain so that if they get to a place where they're no longer acting out in that way, and maybe they've done some healing on if there's some underlying substance abuse, for instance, or underlying mental health issues, and they, and they get to a better place where they're able to come from a place that's more connected to their true self. Um, then, then you've got something to work with, right? Then now we don't have to work through so much pain and misunderstanding and anger because Mm -hmm. the whole time you've been seeing it from a place that's empathetic to where that other person was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, was and so it that. just helps you to resolve those issues much more. Easily. Yeah. And was modeling. Did you say who was modeling that? Well, ideally that's going to be the, the, the parent, the caregiver that adopts is because I think if I was understanding you correctly, we're having a bit of tech issue. So you're cutting out a little bit, but I think for the most part it's coming through, but I think, um, you were saying it's coming from the, the behavior is coming from a place of pain. And so I think you were sort of sharing that uh, we need to love them through that. We need to love them through that so that you can get that stability and be able to then reach that inner child, that authentic who they are and connect with them and help them to, you know, reach their optimal potential in life. Exactly. And, you know, ideally it's the adoptive parent that does that, but Mm -hmm that's not always the way that it goes. Mm-hmm. And, and the wonderful thing about being in a family, any family mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, sometimes our children are the wise or sometimes, um, the birth parent that might be going through all of the pain is the one that's the most wise in that moment. And so that's the great thing, um, in an adoption triad is that it doesn't always have to be the adoptive parent and the adoptive parent you know, is it, we also have to recognize that the adoptive parents have those inner children that come out too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes that's the acting out piece that we've got to work through. So it really mm-hmm. goes all through all the different, um, part I'd need to be able to assume the best and, um, and be able to, you know, just really come from a place of, uh, support and honesty and trying to, um, to, love again just what you said love the people through it love the people through it yeah and so what if you had to give some advice to people considering who may be listening considering adoption maybe they're just going through that infertility treatment now and they're looking at the possibility of having to potentially adopt at some time in the future. I know that you have a blog and one of your recent blog posts is entitled involved in an adoption, always assume the best. And I'm just wondering what did, what you meant by that, but also what you would like people to know about adoption. 
Sure. I think, I think the first thing that people should know about adoption is that it, it's going to challenge you. You know, they say that about parenting, that parenting is the hardest thing, um, the hardest job that people have. And, and I believe that that's true, but I think that's like it's scooped up on adrenaline when you go through an adoption <laughs> because, because everything becomes so much more kind of in your face. And, and so I think that it's not for the, you know, the weary. I think that you, you need to stop and, and really ask yourself, is this the way that I want to go? Um, because I think adoption, in order to do it right, really requires you to do your own work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so if, you, if, if, if that sounds like something that you're ready to do and you're willing to do, then it can be a hugely rewarding process. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, and maybe you're so you know, um, like overwhelmed by the infertility process, then it may behoove you to spend some time working on that grief work with the infertility before you start the adoption process. Mm-hmm. Um, and because really in order to, to have a good, healthy, um, happy experience with adoption, it's going to challenge you and you need to be prepared for that. So you need to seek out help and, and be willing to do your own help, your own work. And I mean, that's to be expected. That's not just a one-off. That's, that's, you're saying that's to be expected and you have to be prepared for that, right? Yeah. I have not met anyone, anyone, even Mm -hmm. people that say they had such a fabulous, wonderful adoption experience. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of those people out there. Mm -hmm. They don't make the news, but there's a ton of us out there. But I haven't heard anyone that's had an adoption experience that hasn't said, it really is challenging and, um, and challenging in a great way, right? It really, um, it, it really makes you grow and it really makes you um, look at your priorities and focus on that and mm-hmm. um, makes parenting much more intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, it's, it's not for the uh, faint of heart for sure. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the, the rewarding parts to it. I mean, I can only imagine what those are, but if you're comfortable sharing for you, what has been, without specifics, but what has been the, the most rewarding thing for you? Well, I mean, one of the things is just when you really em- embrace the adoption experience and, and you know, I think most people really do once they get in there and they do their own work, Mm -hmm. um, you fall in love with everybody Mm -hmm. involved in it. So Mm -hmm. one of the most greatest experiences to see your child um, as an adoptive parent, to see your child making an, an expression or moving their body in a way that just is like spot on their birth parent. (laughs) It's so much fun. Mm -hmm. And to that and to know where that comes from and have the backstory behind it is 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 really great and awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to see, I think to see the things that you know from a birth parent's experience, to see the things that um, the child is getting because of that adoption experience, because of something that that those adoptive parents maybe brought to the table that you know they would never have thought of or something like that. And um, you know, I think that just just to be able to um, see the love that can grow and the connection that can grow from complete strangers, Mm -hmm. from completely different walks of life that you never would have run into before, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're family and Mm -hmm. um, committed to each other for a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. It's really, I mean, it's really a phenomenal experience Mm -hmm. to go through. 
Yeah. And providing that really enriched life for the child to, you know, to have many family members that love and support him or her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So we're getting towards the end of our time today here, Tracy. And I wondered if you could share a little bit about how people can get a hold of you. Sure. So um, my website is very informative. There's a lot of different things on there, um, and it's hopeforthejourney.org. Mm-hmm. Um, hopeforthejourney.com was taken, so it's hopeforthejourney.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, and there's yeah, and um, I also am on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of uh, stuff on there. You can find me. I think you for me up through Hope for the Journey, or also Tracy Peary Therapy, and um, either one will pop me up. And, um, you know, love to interact with people. And um, I tend to put lots of videos and things on there. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, pretty active there. Yeah, you have a lot of really great resources. In, yeah, uh, so those are probably yeah. the best, best ways to catch your mm-hmm. And your name is uh, spelled a little bit differently. It's Tracy, T-R-A-C-I. And Piri is P-I-R-R-I. So Tracy Piri therapy. I think you were saying that if people look that up, they could find you there. And um, you do, so you mentioned that you can do coaching in US, Canada, and all over the world, and therapy just specific to the two states that you're licensed in and where the client is, and that's North Carolina and Texas, correct? Yeah. And so the... um, the out of state or the coaching, you would do that over video counseling, correct? Yes. So you said in the U.S. it's HIPAA compliant. It just means it's confidential and encrypted. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, set it up. It's, it's very similar to FaceTime. If people are um, familiar mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. um, or Skype. Um, and uh, super, super easy. You just need to have either your phone or uh, a computer and high-speed internet. Mm-hmm. Good to go. Yeah. And do you find just really quickly, do you find that your clients really like that, that option, especially those out of state, but it's, it's so much more convenient for people, isn't it? Or it can be. Yeah. It, it helps. Um, you know, if your kid is sick, you can, even if people that are local here, if they've got a meeting or they're somebody's sick or something like that, it just gives you a ability, um, following that sort of thing. And and like I said, I, you know, I do something with the adoption piece that not a lot of other people do. And so it's nice to be able to work with people all over and um, provide some of that support that isn't necessarily there locally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And there's a great blog on your website, too. I want people to go check that out because you have some really great uh, Uh, You have five little known facts about open adoption. Don't hug me for adopting my children. You've got some really great titles there that uh, people might want to check out. So thank you so much, Tracy, for uh, chatting with us today. And I wish you all the best and, and you take care. Thank you for joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.